like to read first of all from the Gospel of John and chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1 and verse 29. On the morrow, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He it is of whom I said, A man comes after me who takes a place before me, because he was before me, and I knew him not, for that he might be manifested to Israel. Therefore have I come baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I beheld the Spirit descending as a dove from heaven, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, But he who has sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and abiding on him, he it is who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. Again on the morrow there stood John and two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking and followed Jesus. Romans 5, we start at verse 12, on page 1354 and verse 12. For this cause even, as by one man sin entered into the world, and by sin death, and thus death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until law sin was in the world, but sin is not put to account when there is no law, but death reigned from Adam until Moses, even upon those who had not sinned in the likeness of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him to come. But shall not the act of favour be as the offence? For if by the offence of one the many have died, much rather has the grace of God and the free gift in grace, which is by the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded unto the many. And shall not as by one that has sinned be the gift? For the judgment was of one to condemnation, but the act of favour of many offences unto justification. For if by the offence of the one death reigned by the one, much rather shall those who receive the abundance of grace and of the free gift of righteousness reign in life by the one Jesus Christ. So then as it was by one offence towards all men to condemnation, so by one righteousness towards all men for justification of life. For as indeed by the disobedience of the one man the many have been constituted sinners, so also by the obedience of the one the many will be constituted righteous. To many today are getting concerned about the state and condition of the physical world in which we live in. They're all very concerned about the climate and where it is going to lead and what is going to happen. And they have all kinds of theories that they are pursuing to find answers to solving what they see as a crisis and a problem to be solved. And it strikes me, you know, that they talk about this thing causing it, blaming it now on the Industrial Revolution of the 1800s and all kinds of things which has caused problems but what strikes me is that they never really trace things back to the real source of the problem which is why I have these two scriptures before me tonight because there's one who I want to speak of who has the answer to every matter and every situation in the universe and I also want to 
open our eyes and if they need opening to see and trace things back to their source. We are well aware of course of the condition of the world. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8 the whole creation groans under the weight of the great matter that has come in to affect the universe and that is the matter of sin. Sin has come in. has been come in as we've read how it came in but you know I would like to start tonight with concentrating our eyes on the blessed Lord Jesus. Last week we were impressed weren't we as the preacher wanted to speak of the man who is the stone. He wanted to tell us about just Jesus and really that's where we need to start the gospel. We need to start with Jesus and I was impressed by this scripture at the beginning of John's gospel and I wonder what it was that the John the Baptist saw as Jesus walked towards him, you know. What an impression he had of the person who was walking to him. And think of the language that he uses. Behold, the Lamb of God. He doesn't stop there, but takes away the sin of the world. What a statement. First of all, he saw a man walking towards him and he calls him a lamb. The Lamb. The Lamb of God. That would have in view a sacrifice, a thought of a sacrifice. And the fact that he was going to take away the sin of the world would involve that that person who was walking to him was to become the sacrifice. What an insight John the Baptist had to this person as we went on to read in the passage before us. But I would like us to think of what was involved for Jesus in taking away the sin of the world. Of course, we know it awaits. It carries us right through, doesn't it? Right through this present age, through the millennial age, when the outward effects of sin will be removed. But it takes us on to a new day, where dwells a new world, where dwells in righteousness. God's going to create a new heaven, a new earth, wherein dwells righteousness. And that, my dear hearer, is all the effect of the work of the blessed Lord Jesus the Lamb of God and his sacrifice. So John was seeing him walking towards him, had this wonderful impression of what he was going to become. The the thought of the Lamb in Scripture is interesting. If you trace it through, trace it really back to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt, didn't they, on the night of the Passover, the Passover Lamb that had to be slain. If they were to be set free, the blood would have to be taken from that lamb, the lamb would have to be killed and the blood would have to be put on the doorpost and upon the lintel if they were to be preserved from the judgment that was coming over them that night. And then we have the thought even into Revelation, we have a lamb standing as slain. Think of that glorious sight in heaven in Revelation 4, I think it is, the one who has accomplished everything for God's purposes and his plans. And this person, my friend, who we speak of as the lamb, He has a desire tonight that he might fill your heart and fill your life. And I have that desire too, that as presenting him in the feeble way that I do, that you may come to put your faith and trust in this glorious person and have a vision of him like John had. Behold, he was drawing attention to this person. And I would like to draw attention to him. Of course, we know another man who said, behold, he said, behold, the man. That was Pilate, wasn't it? When Jesus was brought out to them. Behold the man. And the idea is that we focus our hearts, our minds and attention on this glorious person. 
He's my saviour. By God's grace, he's my saviour. Nothing that I've done to deserve it, but I've been brought to repent of my sins and put my faith and trust in Jesus, as I know many here have. And many here have a wonderful appreciation of Jesus. But even if we've already have an appreciation, may our appreciation even grow tonight as we hear the glad tidings about our Lord Jesus and read about them and read about this blessed person. <clears throat> so John could say, he takes away the sin of the world and he must have had some insight. And then he t- says of who he was, he it is of whom I said, a man comes after me who takes a place before me. So he speaks of the deity of Jesus, of who he was. Yes, he was a man, but he's not any ordinary man. God manifest in flesh. The wonder of the incarnation of Jesus coming into this world, born into a manger as a babe and growing up. Think of that. Concentrate our hearts in this perfect life as a child and as a man. 30 years and up to this point, every footstep of Jesus had been pleasing to his God, to his Father. Every footstep we sometimes think gave fresh delight. Think of the eyes of heaven. Think of heaven looking down on a man in perfection walking this earth. Think of the myriads of men that had lived before. Think of the myriads that have lived since. Never been a man like Jesus. And God the Father found his full delight in Jesus at this, in his pathway here. And so he's coming on to his public service. John was sent before to Israel to call them to repentance. Repent of their sins. How that nation, you know, chosen of God and picked up by God, had turned their back on him. And they had sinned and transgressed. God in his mercy sends John the Baptist to call them to repentance, to prepare for the reception of Jesus. And so here he is at this point at this river, being baptising, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he points to him here, and then he sees, he beheld the Spirit, the Holy Spirit descending as a dove upon him. He saw the Holy Spirit in this way, descending on Jesus. Anybody that knows about the dove in Genesis will know that's one of the animals that Noah sent out of the ark in the flood. He sent it out, he found no resting place. But here, the dove descends, the spirit descends as a dove upon Jesus. Perfect complacency, he had come upon such a perfect man. And the idea that it was, the thought of it was that the divine person, Jesus as a man and the Holy Spirit here, helped, and, and he was the one who he, everything he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. A perfect man moving amongst men. And so he, says, I, I knew him not, but he who sent me to baptise with water, he said, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and abiding, on him it is who baptises with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. So testimony was given right at the start of Jesus' public service here, that he was the Son of God. Think of the Son of God walking here on this earth and moving amongst men. Oh, may our hearts and attention be focused to this glorious person. But as I said at the beginning, it was the thought was that he was to become a sacrifice, a lamb, a one that was to be slain. Thinking where he was going, it's Isaiah, he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Think of Jesus being taken by the hands of wicked men and led to that cross, you know. He wasn't resisting, he wasn't struggling, he accepted it all from his God and from his Father. That if there was to be a basis laid for sinners like you and me to be blessed, to know what it is to be forgiven of our sins, Jesus had to go that way. Yes, he went there for the sin of the world, the sin of the world. But there too he went, dear friend, that your sins that you have committed against God might be forgiven. So he, John goes on to draw attention to him. He says, on the morrow, 
John and two of his disciples looking at Jesus as he walked. What a walk it must have been. There must have been something about the walk of Jesus that attracted their hearts. Behold the Lamb of God. And two of his disciples left and followed him. Did John complain? I'm losing my flock. I'm losing my those that have been following me. No. He was prepared. He says, he, I must decrease. He must increase. He is prepared to, for them to follow Jesus. He was the way and he pointed the way. And that's all the preacher is doing tonight. He's pointed the way and pointed to the one. That this glorious person might become your living saviour. And that he might affect your life and your heart. Know what it is to have peace with God. To be forgiven of your sins. It's a wonderful thing that we can have our sins forgiven. When we come to Romans we can see that sins aren't. Sin is, sins are, are, are forgiven. Sin is not forgiven. We're reminded that sin is condemned. And that's what Jesus had to go through. He had to bear the whole matter of sin. So we come to that scripture in Romans. <coughs> we speak about how sin came in. For this cause what? By one man sin entered into the world. And by sin death. Takes us back. You know what I like about the scriptures. Takes us back to the source of things. And it's a great thing in the present day. To find out the source of things. People are, are confused about so many things. They're even confused about men and women at the present time. We can trace all these things back to the scriptures and to the beginning. In the beginning. And this has how the source, this is how sin came into the universe. It came in by one man. See, Adam is held responsible, isn't he? You might say, well, it was Eve that sinned. Adam blamed his wife, you know. That's what husbands like to do, I suppose. Blame their wives for everything. But he, she, she, he, blamed, he, he blamed his wife. But it was her, he was the man that was held responsible. Adam was the one who was the, he failed in headship. In relation to his wife. His wife, yes, she listened to the devil. But she gave Adam and he ate also. And he's held responsible. One man sin entered into the world. And thus the whole of creation fell. Sin coming in. That terrible principle of lawlessness has entered in. And we see the effects of it all around us. We know it in our own hearts. That lawless element. But we see it building up at the present time. Soon God is going to have to come in in judgment, my friend. To, to judge this evil, wicked world. But at the moment he's waiting. He's waiting in grace. Waiting on men to turn to him. And turn to turn to the Lord Jesus. He's provided a basis. So we have here the fact of the, the many constituted sinners. But by the, it's by the obedience of the one. Many shall be constituted righteous. So our attention is always drawn to Jesus. Yes we can look at Adam. We can look at the failure. We can look within our own hearts and our own lives. And see failure on every hand. But the object of the gospel is to draw your attention to Jesus. You know, Romans 7 speaks about I. Miserable chapter, Romans 7. The failure that's within me. But I love, I love Isaiah 53 because it all speaks about he. He points to Jesus. And that's, the, that's the, the job, you might say, of the gospel preacher. To draw attention to Jesus. Just like John the Baptist. Behold the man. Behold the Lamb of God. And here, this is how death, this is how sin entered into the world. And by sin, death. You know, it shouldn't have been a surprise, should it? Because God said, the day that thou eatest of it, thou shalt surely die. That was what God said to, to Adam. <clears throat> and they could have eaten of any other tree in the garden except the one tree. And isn't that like our own hearts? Children know that. The one thing you're told not to do suddenly becomes the very thing that you want to do. And that is exactly what happened with, 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 with Adam and Eve. This, the, the devil, the serpent by his craft, deceived Eve, and she ate. 
you know, and that's, and it brought upon this terrible downfall of man. Did this take God by surprise? No, no, it's not any matter of surprise with God. It's all to bring out his wonderful heart of love towards his creature. He wanted to show his heart, you know. We might, you might know God as the one who gave the law, but you know, the law never expressed his heart. But God had a desire to express his heart. And that's what he's done, you know. The fall of man was not a surprise. It was just all in his ways and his counsels and his purposes that the very heart of God might be manifest, that we might know his love towards us and the love that gave his son. God has done everything. He gave everything, my friend, to secure your soul. It should affect all of our hearts every time we hear the gospel that God gave his son, that we might be redeemed, that we might be forgiven, that we might be blessed. What a wonderful thing it is, the gospel. What a wonderful story is the gospel of God's grace. That there's nothing that we deserve. We deserve judgment. We know we deserve hell. But God in his grace has provided a saviour. And he's the one who's taken upon himself the iniquities of us all. And all God is asking us to do is to repent. It's not true really to say in the gospel there's nothing, nothing to do. Because you do have to do something. You do have to repent of your sins. <clears throat> there's nothing you can do, my friend, to remove those sins. There's nothing you can do to secure your blessing. But God commands all men everywhere to repent this is where we start in the gospel it's repentance the moment you repent is the moment you take your first step towards the blessing and my friend you can have blessing tonight in repenting of your sins and coming to this blessed saviour so he says here death has passed upon all men for all have sinned it'll be noticed at the beginning of verse 12 mr darby has a note that says the epistle divides itself here as to doctrine to do two distinct parts which a new paragraph hardly shows up to this chapter 5.11, sins has been treated of. From this point, sin is in view. I think it's important we see the distinction between sin and sins. As I said earlier, sins are forgiven, but sin is condemned. So this, this, this uh, charge had to be met. How was that to be met? We can't meet the matter of sin ourselves. God has met it in sending his son, and it cost the Lord Jesus his life. When John, when John speaks of him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he would have had Calvary, the cross at Calvary in view, because Jesus came here to suffer and die. It, nothing that happened to Jesus came as a surprise upon him, I speak reverently. He knew he was coming in to fulfill the will of God. He knew what that entailed. He knew that that would involve the cross and all that suffered, all that he suffered there. It meant the rejection of mankind, the hatred that people poured out against Jesus. But it too meant, he knew what it meant, that he was going to suffer the great matter of sin on his head on the cross. He was the one to have to drain God's awful judgment of sin. And that's what, what Jesus endured in three hours of darkness on the cross. Oh, dear friends, we cannot have a gospel preaching without speaking of the cross. Take you to that moment at Calvary, where Jesus was upheld there for those hours on that cross. The three hours when he subjected to the taunts of men. And the three hours of darkness where he endured the judgment of God upon him. Think if he could cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And at the end of those three hours he could say, it is finished. He completed the work that was given him to do. Yes, it says he, with a loud spirit, he gave up his spirit with a loud cry. So Jesus overcame the, he went through everything in victory. He gave up his life. The soldier pierced his side. The blood was shed. Well, you say, is that relevant? That's very relevant. The blood of Jesus Christ is the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. 
If sins, sins were to be forgiven, Jesus' blood had to be shed. And his blood was shed on that cross. And we can point to the blood, you know, and could say that this has made my peace with God. That's what it says in Colossians. Peace has been made by the blood of his cross. That's how we have peace with God, through the sacrificial blood of the Lord Jesus. And so he went into death. He died. His blood was shed and he was buried. And he went into, into the tomb. And he lay there for three days and three nights. And then he rose again the third day. Yes, Jesus rose again. Glorious news that Jesus has come out of death. And he is the one who is now at the Father's right hand. He's there waiting. He's waiting the moment when he will come to take all those that love him to be with himself. Is this your hope? Are you waiting for Jesus to come? Are you waiting to come to take you to be with himself? Or have you no hope? Like so many in the world today, there's no hope and they're desperate. They're trying to do all sorts of things to, they think they can fix the world and its problems. They won't be fixed by anybody here. There's only one man who's going to fix all the problems and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes, everything will be resolved, you know. Think of the great matter of incoming in. We, we speak of, <coughs> speak of the, the problems with the climate when the millennium comes in. You think of the, the desert blossoming as a rose. You think of the effects of Jesus coming into this world. And that's all on the basis of his death. Isn't it wonderful? What John saw, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Well, my dear friend, I appeal to you tonight to put your faith and trust in this wonderful person. He's my saviour. He's my hope. He's the only hope this world has. And all will soon acknowledge him. When they see him coming on the clouds with great power and glory. What a moment. Every eye will see him. And every eye is going to, every tongue is going to confess Jesus as Lord to God the Father, Saviour. So I just lay these things upon, before you tonight. These are these scriptures, the, the, the wonderful, the way that Paul opens this up. <clears throat> I just read all the, all that was in that, uh, in the, in the brackets there, it gives us an understanding of what has taken place. But he could then say at the end of that, so it is by one offence towards all men to condemnation, so by one righteousness towards all men for justification of life. Yes, we might blame Adam for our fall. We might, we might not feel it. We deserve it. But it's a fact. Not only are we sinners, but we are sinners by nature. And yet we can say, by the obedience of the one, by the obedience of the Lord Jesus, all shall be constituted righteous. What a gift has come from God. What, what John the Baptist saw, amazing, you know, to see he saw everything fulfilled in the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. Well, I trust that as presenting Jesus tonight, I may stimulate in your heart a desire to follow him. Like these two disciples of John. You know, they left John and followed Jesus. And they wanted to know where he lived. Where does thou abide, they said. And they abode within that day. May you have an experience in your soul what it is to, to abide with Jesus, to be here waiting for him and serving him and being here for him. You know, that's why we're left here as believers. It's not to be left to our own devices. The Holy Spirit is given to us that we might be able to live here to please God and to please the Saviour. May it be the portion of everyone here for his name's sake.